Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is Lucky Bastard by S.G. Brown. Do you know how long I've been waiting for you to read an S.G. Brown book? Um, at least a year. November 2010. <laughs> All right. Probably uh, since I read Faded. <laughs> you have a calendar specifically for uh, counting down the days to me reading an S.G. Brown book? There's a note on when Faded came out in the in our document here, <laughs> so that's why I know. But it's been a long time. Wow. A little, little bit about the author, S.G. Brown. Uh, he's the author of Breathers, a dark comedy about life and undeath told from the perspective of a zombie, which I believe, Livius, you've mentioned on the show before, right? Love that book. And uh, his second novel, Faded, uh, is a dark, irreverent comedy about fate, destiny, and the consequences of getting involved in the lives of humans. Uh, his writing has been influenced by Stephen King, Chuck Palahniuk, Christopher Moore, Kurt Vonnegut, and the films of Charlie Kaufman and Wes Anderson, among others. It's a good list, except for Wes Anderson, if you ask me. Yeah, I don't know who Wes Anderson is. Uh, he did Rushmore and uh, Royal Tenenbaums and stuff like that. Gotcha. If yeah. yeah. If it's got uh, Bill Murray and like so, a bunch of awkward people like the Wilson brothers, it's a Wes Anderson flick. There you go. I am familiar with uh, the Royal Tannenbaums. I didn't actually watch most of it, but yeah, I, I, I got who you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, but his author influences are, uh, are right up my alley there. I mean, I like uh, especially those first three guys, and I like Kurt Vonnegut. And I, I'll have all the listeners notice that I decided to take a shot at Wes Anderson and not take a shot at Stephen King, because apparently it just blows people's minds that I'm not a Stephen King fan. So I want to. I'm trying to repair that that breach that we've got you'll notice i called out the other guy but i'm now telling you that i didn't call out the guy i really wanted to call out, so. and it's only because i don't want to lose listeners like stephen king yeah all right a little bit about lucky bastard let me correct myself a lot a bit about lucky bastard this is a hefty synopsis here so i'm going to try to make this through in one take and even if it's not one take you won't know because rob will just clean it up it'll sound like i'm genius so Meet Nick Monday, a private detective who's more Columbo than Sam Spade, more Magnum P.I. than Philip Marlowe. As San Francisco's infamous luck poacher, Nick doesn't know whether his ability to swipe other people's fortunes with a simple handshake is a blessing or a curse. Ever since his youth, Nick has swallowed more than a few bitter truths when it comes to wheeling and dealing in destinies. Because whether the highest bidders of Nick's serendipitous booty are celebrities, yuppies, or douchebag vegans, <laughs> the unsavory fact remains luck is the most powerful, addictive, and dangerous drug of them all. And no amount of cappuccinos, Lucky Charms, or apple fritters can sweeten the notion that Nick might be exactly what his father once claimed, as ambitious as a fart. That is, until Tuesday night, the curvy brunette, who also happens to be the mayor's daughter, approaches Nick with an irresistible offer. $100,000 to retrieve her father's stolen luck. Could this high-stakes deal let Nick do right? Or will cow-towing to another greedmonger's demand simply fund Nick's addiction to corporate coffee bars while his morality drains down the toilet? Before he downs his next mocha, Nick finds himself at the mercy of a Chinese mafia kingpin and with no choice but to scour the city for the purest kind of luck, a hunt more titillating than softcore porn. All he has to do to stay ahead of the game is remember that you can't take something from someone without eventually paying like hell for it. Great job, Livius. One take, no errors at all. Oh, you can leave in the one. I made it. I almost made it all the way. I was, gonna, I was covering for you. I appreciate it. Um, that's that's a mouthful, 
but I want to say right off the bat that it, one thing that this synopsis does is it's really cool. I mean, it's a lot of information before you read the book, but it's really cool to read it afterwards and like you can kind of mentally place what the references are and they make, they have more context to them. So that's kind of neat. Usually you don't see that in a synopsis. I also think that if you were to read it before, which um, I didn't do and usually don't do, if it's an author that I really like, I don't even bother with reading what the book's about. I just read the book. Um, I think it's pretty accurate and gives you an idea of kind of how, you know, kind of hijinksy and how wild this this ride is going to be. I think it's a real fair representation. I agree. Remember Railsy? Like that was like a good synopsis. Eh, the book just sucked. Yeah, real, we're not talking about Railsy anymore. All right. So not that I can really add anything to to the synopsis. Um, this is just a really fun story. It, it's. I mean, I didn't realize till halfway in, but this all of this insanity takes place in the course of one day, which is always very interesting approach for an author to take. I remember the first book I read that um, I realized all took place in one day, and it's a lot of story to feed into one day, and it's hard to pull off and make it seem uh, make it seem believable. I guess. I mean, this is not a believable story. There's a guy running around that poaches luck, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? Um, yeah, and actually that's kind of like when we were talking about Stephen Graham Jones' book, uh, Zombie Bake Off, which um, even though the opening scene takes place, uh, I think, overnight, the really bulk of like 95% of the story takes place over the course of almost like an afternoon. Um, so the full book takes place in a very short period of time. So it's a little bit like that. Yeah, I wonder how that you make that decision. Well, I mean, I guess with, I mean, with something like Zombie Bake Off that needed to take place in a very short period of time because there was a zombie outbreak in right. a confined area, so you couldn't drag it out for months. But Lucky Bastard, I guess, could have been told over the period of a week or so. It's interesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, but the stuff that happened to the dude, just it's just one thing after it was just relentless. And I think that kind of added to it, the fact that, like, I mean, it's your typical, like, he's a private detective and all these people come into his life because they need something from him or they want something. They want to exploit something that he can do or, you know, that type of thing. And so it's just one kind of bad luck thing after the next bad luck. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Hey, uh, can I mention that we're talking about a book called lucky bastard about a guy who steals people's luck. And we're recording this on Friday the 13th. Ooh. While we're on the um, private investigator, I'm going to throw this out here because it wasn't a quote necessarily from the book. Um, it was more of kind of indicative of, of the type of private eye that he is. Um, uh, so this kind of a little out of context. That's what most of today's private investigators do to earn their keep. Some of them specialize in one particular field, while others might dabble in two or three areas of investigation. But no one's getting shot at. No one's meeting clients in dark alleys. No one's having sex with Lauren Bacall, at least not me. I like it. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a good summation of, of the type of private eye that uh, that Nick Monday is. So so at its core, I mean, it's kind of a detective type story. He's definitely a detective and different people approach him either wanting him to wanting to hire him to do stuff or uh, wanting to exploit kind of his supernatural ish ability to take people's luck. Um, and they're all I would say they all like are related to each other in one way or another, but they all, you know, because it's all happening at the same time, it's interesting to watch how the different stories 
bump against each other and, and mix together and stuff. Yeah, and we don't really want to give away too much. Um, there is a uh, there is a Chinese mafia kingpin um, that's a, a central character in the book who's just your very very standard bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Probably a little less leg breaky than you would expect. You know, he's he's kind of a little <laughs> patient with with Nick, but um, some of the best interaction in there comes to just Nick's just smart ass responses and the conversations that they have with one another. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a there's, yeah, I mean, there's a handful of characters that that occur. Uh, there's Tuesday Night, which was mentioned in the synopsis, who's a who's a, a a girl who hires him to help get her father's luck back, and she's your typical femme fatale type of chick, uh, you know, super smoking hot, wearing the really nice clothes, and like really dressed the part of the femme fatale. Um, <laughs> Who else? Who who else would should we talk? I, I I don't want to spoil certain characters. I guess. All right, we got to talk about Bow Wow. <laughs> um. So Nick has a, you know, reluctantly has a sidekick named Doug. Doug, right? Is it Doug? Yes, it's Doug. Who uh, who's who's your very typical um kind of like the you picture the white suburban kid that tries to be like a gangster rapper. Um, who, although in his own is, you know, kind of this, this pitiful character, when you see him again, there's just some great inner dialogue and, and some, I guess some dialogue between the two of them. That's just fantastic in this book, Nick's reactions and coddling of this Bow Wow character. Yeah. He's like a, like a, like the sad puppy kind of tag along. Like he really looks up to Nick for reasons that are maybe not as uh, obvious to us as it is for, to Bow Wow, uh, or Doug, (laughs) And um, but yeah, he, he's just that you just he's like a lovable puppy kind of character that um, ends up being really cool. Yeah, the, the other characters in the book, um, not a whole lot of central characters without giving away a little, you know, a little too much of the story. But, um, you know, this is a this is kind of a, a mystery story of sorts at the core. But I mean, this is really written. It's it's a very, very funny book. And that's that's where this really shines. Yeah, I'd agree. I was talking to Olivia's before we started recording this, and I said it was kind of like, and I'm going to regret saying this, but plugged, because we didn't really like it too much, but it's got that kind of like lighter side of, of like a, a detective story feel to it, but it's got a lot of the Chris Moore um, satire com- uh, satire humor to it, and that's really what shines through and is more powerful. Um, I mean, he's got the foundations of a great detective story, and he follows that very well, but it's the satir the satirical aspect that I think really is is what's strongest about this. Yeah. One quick note: I, I couldn't imagine that we get through this episode without mentioning Chris Moore, and I'm really glad that when we when we pull down um, we pull down Mr. Brown's uh, bio that he mentions Chris Moore as an influence because I thought I think of myself and be like. Yeah, you know this is you know a lot. That's you know, good stuff. I kind of like what Chris Moore does, and then you know just have a, you know, an author be like, you know, I hate Chris Moore. <laughs> yeah, that'd be terrible. <laughs> so, so I'm glad that that was actually mentioned. So if we're gonna you know draw lines of comparison, um, definitely you can see the Chris Moore influence um, um, in his style of writing, and I think that holds true for his other two books too. Um, dialogue, man, inner dialogue in this thing. It's it's all written first person, and Nick Monday is is just. Just a hilarious guy. I mean, just the things that go through his head and stuff. Just fantastic. And if you want to talk about kind of a progression from at the beginning of the book to what happens towards the end, it starts out less serious, and and you you don't really 
it's not that you don't like Nick Monday, but um, it's tougher to identify with him. He's really snarky and, and humorous and and doesn't take things seriously so much. So uh, for me, I wasn't identifying with the character too much, um, and there was a lot of information in the beginning. So I was a little bit nervous, but as the book goes on, Brown does a great job of, of evolving this character as he goes and showing that he does have things that he cares about and... and 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 things that he's, you know, he he's willing to sacrifice things for himself for and things like that. So, in the beginning, and it's probably just it was probably intentional. Like you wanted to see this progression, so he gives you this one side of Nick in the beginning. That's all this kind of like uh, scummy guy who only cares about himself, and then by the end, you really see more of a full fledged person with more complex emotions, and 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 he's more empathetic i guess oh absolutely and i mean how can you present this guy in a good light initially he steals other people's luck mm-hmm. which you know is treated very you know kind of tongue-in-cheek you know through the course of the story but it's assuming that, that this is something that's possible what a horrible thing to have someone steal your luck yeah and that's what i i was kind of i was kind of iffy on the idea i mean don't get me wrong it's a great idea and it's a it's a way to just throw a door open to to doing tons of different things so it had to be a lot of fun to write that but i was kind of iffy on the idea of stealing luck in the beginning because it sounded so black and white um but as time goes on in the book you see more of like the different effects and consequences of taking someone's good luck or taking someone's bad luck and how it affects the people who take it and how it affects the people that you know buy it on the black market and stuff so what seemed like such a a black and white kind of idea that was that was um maybe a little uh, too constrained he opened it up in such a cool way to to just all these different considerations and different situations and scenarios he could make out of it yeah we've talked a lot about suspending disbelief on other episodes most recently i think in amped and another place that this book shines is that once you you know swallowed the pill so to speak about the the luck theft some of the things he goes on to talk about are so well thought out that you know once like i said once you're you're in the book and you're rolling with it and you accept this is an ability that somebody has he's really drawn some some really great lines to you know kind of like what rob said to what what happened and i believe i may have in my quotes when we get to that section a couple examples of that yeah it, it and I, I there's two ways that it can go when you when you have a, a kind of hook like this for a book it could go in a direction where you focus so much on the mechanics and the mythology and everything of, of this weird aspect that, that the story uh, suffers because of it. And, or, or you could go the good way where it's something that enhances the story. And I think that in this case, uh, it definitely enhanced the story. Yeah, I, I found one of the quotes just to kind of exemplify what we're talking about. And it's just real short and easy. But good luck doesn't affect your decision making. It just helps to save your ass when you make bad choices. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff throughout this book that, like I said, once you you kind of buy it, you know, you, you read that and you go, "Man, this is really, you know, really intelligent, intelligent, thoughtful." Like he took a premise that could be considered kind of silly, but then he took it to another level and really put some thought into what that would mean to have your luck stolen or to have good luck or bad luck. The one thing I think of too is like he's kind of built up within this book um he's built a world up with this kind of luck the way luck works uh kind of in the way and going back to chris moore again 
with his book Bloodsucking Fiends, he built up a world in, where vampires exist in a certain way. And now Chris Moore will come out with these vampire books, you know, once every couple of years or whatever. And it's a comfortable setting. So, I, can, I mean, I could see reading another Nick Monday book or another, you know, in the vein of, 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 of the luck thing. And it'll be nice because I already know how the luck works. And, you know, then he's he's kind of already set the he's he's made the setting and he can just kind of go places with it. So it's got that kind of feel where it's that satirical humor with this kind of mythology built into it that could be good for an ongoing series of stories. Agreed. Um, writing style. We've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, progression of characters. We talked a little bit about humor. Is there anything else about the writing style you wanted to, uh, to talk about? One thing I really dig, um, and I don't know if it's the actual city or just the way that he wove it into the story was, uh, it's very location centric. So, the book takes place in San Francisco and is very obvious. So there's a lot of driving around to different places and taking public transportation. Uh, and when he goes to different places, he definitely name drops like neighborhoods, uh, streets, uh, local monuments and stuff. So I have to imagine, as a native San Franciscoer, San Franciscan, San Fran, what do you think, San Franciscan? Yeah, I, yes, San Franciscoites. Mm-hmm. Um, It'd be neat to read this book just to have that kind of visual reference in your mind of where things are taking place. Uh, Chris Moore actually did that with his vampire books. Uh, There's a guy that I like to read who (laughs) I've I've tried to turn people on to, but no one really bites as much as me. His name is Peter Plate, and his is very, very gritty crime stuff, and it's very uh, location-centric as well for San Francisco. Um, I just think San Francisco is a cool place to to set... uh, a book because you've got pretty much any type of urban setting is represented, whether it's really wealthy, really poverty stricken, you know, the whole gamut is there. So it's a, it's, it's, it's always every book I've read that's based in San Francisco. I've really enjoyed. That's how I feel about every book I've read. That's based in South Africa. <laughs> it's cause you, cause, that's because that's a textbook for you. It is you a learn something new. I do. I learned something from this too. I'm totally all about like bad luck is dark as oil. (laughs) Um, Oh, did you want to talk about coffee shops? I'd love to talk. Can I talk a little bit about writing style first? Oh, I thought that was part of it. Okay. Yes. Go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do anything. It's cool. It's cool. I don't even know what I want to say about the writing style to be really honest. All I can say is that um, I'm on the Amazon page right now. We obviously read this on Kindle. Um, 368 pages it came in at and this book was probably one of the quickest 368 page books I've ever read yeah it's very easy I don't know what it is about his writing style but I was at no point bored I could just flip page after page and you know I, I read I don't read in big big chunks all the time just time doesn't allow it for me you know but I just couldn't believe this was I mean we talked about this I was probably a good halfway through the book and I said yeah, I, I think you're going through this real quick. It doesn't seem like a very long book. And you said it's 368 pages. And I, I had to like double check and see, because <laughs> there's, there's no way I thought I was 180 pages in the book when I was halfway. Yeah, it, it does read very fast. It's, uh, it's consistent throughout. Like, it's not like, oh, rail. See, you had to do all that work to get through the first quarter of the book before it started picking up. And this from the very beginning, I mean, it's just very approachable. Very smooth. 
just no no bumps no hills and valleys i mean you know not so, you know there weren't any parts that you know were like just absolutely spellbinding but there were no down moments it was just very very smooth to read yeah i'll agree now we talk about coffee shops all you want uh, this was like probably one of my uh, guilty pleasures about the book um and also all right so <laughs> i'm gonna do a little Rob, uh, a little history on Rob right now. So back in 2008, I got laid off from a job. I was a office manager in a newspaper that decided to go to a virtual office. So can't be a virtual office manager. Um, so I got laid off and I took like three weeks and I just kind of hung around the Bay area. I was crashing with some friends and everything. So I spent a lot of time in San Francisco and Berkeley and Oakland and, um, my, my traveling, uh, the places that I decided to go to coffee shops were kind of, <laughs> I don't know, like the local home base for wherever I was going. So I'd travel to a coffee shop in a neighborhood and then I'd kind of like check out the neighborhood and then I'd travel to a coffee shop somewhere else and check out the neighborhood. So it was like coffee shops were, <laughs> it's just because I'm such a weirdo about coffee, but a very integral part of my traveling around the city. And so in this book, um, Nick Monday drinks coffee. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, I was tempted at one point to just count how many times he'd gone to coffee shops, but the, like, like we said, the book takes place, you know, in the scope of, is it one day? Yes. And the dude goes to like coffee shops, you know, a dozen times easily. So, um, I really, <laughs> I really like the fact that coffee played such an integral role and, um, he's always name dropping this Starbucks at this location or a Pete's coffee in this location and stuff. And so, um, this dude, uh, it just, was just constantly drinking coffee. Can I just say that I didn't catch anything you said about the coffee shops because I was thinking about what you were saying about yourself and I kept thinking vagrant. Unemployed, going from place to place, coffee shops. I just kept thinking vagrant. Um, yeah, coffee shops uh, not only play um, a huge role in, in the, the scene setting for, for this book, but um, another one of my favorite parts was um, the baristas that you know make or don't make appearances in this story. Absolutely, this totally just like in a way I was thinking like he wrote the book that I would love to my life to be, and then added luck theft and private detectives to it. Yes. So every so all I know is this is that. Um, S.G. Brown needs to be really, really careful because I think there are baristas in every Starbucks in the country now looking for him to spit in his drink when they make it. <laughs> and we should probably explain that a little bit. So Nick Monday cannot. There's he, just baristas have some attraction to him. So every time a barista appears or is mentioned in this story, um, he's getting a phone number or getting a date or he's talking about, you know, some barista that he. I don't want to say screwed over, but, you know, got involved with and couldn't stay interested in for very long. So there's just like a laundry list of baristas he was involved with or will be involved with after the end of this, after the end of this book, when he decides to give them a call. The nice thing about that, I mean, it's just entertaining in and of itself, but it's like a complete turnaround of like real life because it's the exact opposite of that. And from everybody I've ever talked to who's, you know, worked at a coffee place or, or frequented a coffee place like me, where if you're working behind the counter, everybody's in love with you and you don't want to have anything to do with them. Um, so it's great to see <laughs> kind of the opposite of that, where any coffee shop he goes to, he can't walk out without getting a phone number and like, you know, getting flirted with and stuff. So, um, 
that's like my dream life. I just want to go to coffee shops around the country and, and have like a, a string of, of meaningless trysts with uh, cute girls who know how to make good coffee. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you say that though, about it being the, the other way around. I, I recently caught up on uh, this last season of Grey's Anatomy. It's just a little off the subject, but yeah, there was a storyline where a, uh, an espresso machine blew up and uh, a, a barista and a customer were both injured. And through the course of the entire episode, the customer is trying to find out, you know, what's going on with the barista and, you know, please make sure you tell her I'm okay. And finally the doctors are like, Hey, he wants you to know that he's okay. And it's like, who are you talking about? They're like <laughs> your boyfriend. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So this guy like actually thought they were on the verge of having a relationship. Mm. Yeah. And she doesn't even know who he is from like anybody else. So, and, and what TV show was that? Grey's Anatomy. Oh, I've never watched it. It's about a hospital. It's okay. You have to watch like a few at a time. You can't watch it every week. There's nothing to bring you back next week. Is it like House? Um, no, it's not as good as House. All right. I think about this. If it ain't True Blood, I'm not watching it. Right. <laughs> well, it saves me from having to buy the DVD box set for Christmas. <laughs> That's right. For my birthday in October. That's true. I gotta start saving now. At any rate, um, book. Is that it? We're gonna um, move on to quotes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all the big stuff, right? That's all the stuff we can talk about. There's so much good stuff that we would just be spoiling, and it's way better if you experience it in the moment. It's already bad enough that between the two of us, we had, what, 35 notes and marks made <laughs> in our Kindles. So we're going to have to call that down a little bit. Because at some point, I think if we read enough, um, the, the publishers could sue us for like some type of copyright infringement. Yeah, I know. There's like that um, uh, 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 fair use the fair use kind of thing. We're definitely going way beyond fair use. All right. From the very first, um, from the very first line in the book, that's where I started making my, my quotes on this. It's my understanding that naked women don't generally tend to carry knives, but considering all that's happened since I woke up this morning, I wouldn't have been surprised if she pulled out a meat cleaver or a chainsaw. Yep. Yeah. Right off the bat. Uh, this first one, along that same line, you can get a, a little bit of the snarkiness and a, just like kind of more of a feel of of the main character, Nick Monday. I'm looking for Nick Monday, she says, saying my name with such disdain that I'm wondering if we've met. I like that one. Okay, so this fits in, this next quote fits in perfectly with what we were just talking about, Rob's dream life of uh, barista hopping. Get it? Barista hopping. Hopping. Yep, I'm, I'm with you. It's your lucky day, I say, flashing my most charming smile because you found him. She gives me a forced smile that lets me know she's not charmed. I have that kind of effect on women, unless they're corporate coffeehouse baristas. It's complicated. <laughs> so the next quote I'm going to do is uh, a little bit more of just like uh, the, the type of good images he, he paint the pictures he paints in the book. Uh, he's talking about the different types of luck, good luck and bad luck, and how they look. Because once you steal someone's luck, you can kind of distill it into a physical like like a liquid form um here's a quote good luck no matter what the grade comes in varying degrees of white the highest grade is the color of alabaster while the lowest grade looks like diluted lemonade bad luck conversely is as black as the shadows in the barrel of a gun low grade hard absorbs light like a black hole that's pretty cool that barrel of a gun one i was like god damn that's good stuff yes yeah, I mean, I, I know I 
kind of chose to focus on some of the funnier stuff as I'm looking through my quotes. But yeah, I mean, there's some really good descriptive stuff in here too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> here's another taken totally out of context. I'm free for dinner, she says, then bites her lower lip in that seductive way only women can get away with. Kind of like grooving to music at a bar. When a woman does it, it's alluring, appealing, acceptable. When a guy does it, it's like watching the end of cool as we know it. I like that. All right. Uh, this next one is uh, he's kind of just reflecting on the life of, of a poacher of luck and um, and how it's weird to learn what it means and how to do it and stuff. It's not like we have our own version of Hogwarts to teach us the art and rules and etiquette of stealing luck. You know what Hogwarts is, Livius? No. Hogwarts is the uh, school that Harry Potter and all the wizards went to to learn magic. Got it. <laughs> not going to read Harry Potter. <sighs> I know. You got more? I figure... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can keep going for days. I figure it must just be a coincidence that they were both going to be at O'Reilly's, except the one thing I've learned over the years is that there's no such thing as coincidence. Scratch that. I've learned two things. One, there's no such thing as coincidence. Two, a lot of women like to be spanked. Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure there's one or two things, other things I've learned, but my memory isn't what it used to be. That's beautiful. That's, totally that... out of nowhere. That was like a laugh out loud moment for me when I read that. <laughs> there's a couple I'm going to do right now. At one point, there's a dead... Uh, there's a dead female in the book and, um, he, there's at least, I think I got two back to back quotes that, that illustrate that situation nicely. She's just sitting there, eyes wide open and not breathing, waiting for rigor mortis to set in. And this other one kind of just, uh, is a follow up later on in the book, referring back to the, the dead body situation. And this by far is one of my favorite quotes of the whole book. Um, I almost expected to find two dead Asian double agents in my office one in each corner, like hot decomposing bookends. <laughs> this is great stuff. Yeah, no, and like I said, I, I as I'm going through my notes, I feel bad that I didn't pick some more. What do you want to call it? Well written sentences or well written descriptions, but some of this stuff is just just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Here's like another just quick throwaway line. There's nothing like consuming your own bodily fluids to remind you that it might be a good idea to make some lifestyle changes. <laughs> I'm going to throw just like one or two more out if that's okay. That's cool. I started. So yeah, go ahead. Um, here's a quick one that I just, again, for writing style, I thought was great. While a lucky strike clock above the bathroom keeps track of everybody's wasted time. That is just beautiful. I want to shake that man's hand for writing that sentence. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's great, right? Yes, absolutely. Like I said, I kind of feel bad. I, I went, I, it's like I went for the dick jokes. Here comes a dick joke, then. <laughs> when it comes to women, men love to catch glimpses of three things, bra straps, panties, and tattoos. He's kind of talking about the idea that um, sometimes it's more alluring to um, only see a little bit of something than to see the whole package. And I, I felt that hit that hit close to home. In most cases, too, I, I think that he kind of just flirted with, with the dirty side of writing. Like, he could have gone full-on dirty but you know he like mm -hmm. mentions spanking he mentions like the flash of panties he mentions a little bit of cleavage but he never really takes it to like that like our rated place right can i do just one more and then yeah, I, I, I promise i'll put down the quotes i'm making up for the fact that i didn't have quotes for like two episodes before that <laughs> Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> a few minutes later my cappuccino and bear claw arrive from starbucks the goon from outside brings them in and sets them down on the coffee table next to the ceramic lucky cat 
Then he nods at the other goon in a show of goon solidarity before he resumes his post outside the door. It's brilliant. Good stuff. Brown, I mean, really funny, really lighthearted, but he can just bring home like that that Lucky Strike Clock one. They just brought it home, man. That's really solid writing. And and funny without, I don't want to say not trying. I think he was trying to be funny. I just think it was it came across as kind of effortless. Like there was no point where I kind of groaned. Like, you know, this guy's really just trying to be funny. It's just like I said, the whole thing was just so goddamn smooth. Yeah, it was contextually appropriate. It wasn't trying too hard. It was just it was right for the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally I agree. agree. Ready to do a wrap up? Yeah, you kick it off this time. I am going to kick it off this time. Um, been a fan of SG Browns for a couple of years now since Breathers um, came out. I can't stress enough how much you guys, everybody just needs to read Breathers. Um, you know, still kind of early on in the zombie fiction days, but just a wholly new look at, at you know, at zombies. So I want to drop that in there real quick before I talk about uh, a little bit about this book. Um, I don't remember last time I read a book that seemed to go by quick and it was just absolutely effortless to to get through it um funny in a very kind of you know tongue-in-cheek again it wasn't overt uh not slapsticky at all you know just a lot of good inner dialogue so set aside the fact that you know that you probably can't steal luck from people you know what it all comes kind of comes down to is this is just a really funny guy going through a really really crazy kind of crappy day um characters uh, abundance of characters that made for you know fodder for for nick monday's jokes and, and again his inner dialogue including and we didn't mention this before but two more cool things all the stuff he talked about about his dad and how his dad was always down on him was just fantastic but he also sprinkles in a little bit of um you know people who you know who had good luck and what some of the, like the luckiest people in the world are so i'm actually really curious as to if that stuff was made up or if he researched these things like there's he talks about the youngest person to ever survive a car a car crash so i'm very curious if if that's true or not but if not it added a whole nother level of authenticity um to the whole to the whole luck thing that occasionally he'd start off a chapter and just talk about somebody who because of their luck survived some horrible you know disaster so um Really can't say enough good things about S.G. Brown. I, I've loved this guy for a few years now. I'm glad that we got around to reading this. Um, he's actually, I just found out the other day, he's got a little short story um, collection that just came out. So I'm looking forward to reading that um, over the next week or so. Um, it's a four-star book. I really liked it a lot. All right. For me, I'd never read S.G. Brown before, so I really didn't know what I was getting into. I had read the synopsis, and it seemed... Like, it was a lot to digest for a synopsis, and I wasn't really sure exactly what I was getting into. So at the beginning of the book, um, it's weird. It's a weird thing. Like Livia said, there has to be that willful suspension of disbelief, and, and you just have to kind of swallow the fact that there's these luck poachers. And once you get into it, and once you get kind of settled into the whole mythology of it, and the universe, and just the way that like the daily life of a luck poacher works... It's a really easy read. Um, he he does lighthearted very well. He does that satirical kind of humor really well, and he just does a good kind of detective story too. Uh, he brings some really good writing flares, like those quotes that we gave. And uh, overall, it was an easy read. That was a good story uh, for me. That's a three point five, three and a half stars. Very cool. 
I'd like to see, and I I, to to reiterate what I was saying before. um, Now I've got this this world in my mind where these luck poachers exist, and and I feel like it would be a very comfortable thing to revisit. So I don't know if S. G. Brown is in the the serializing kind of business, but I could definitely see myself enjoying future luck poacher world type of stories. I'm just glad I got you to read Dusty Brown book. Oh, now, now we can go back and, uh, and, and when he, when he releases more, we've got him on our roster. We got him on our list. He's on our radar. Awesome. There's nothing I won't do to try to fit in my favorite stuff into our reading schedule. for the show. <laughs> <laughs> So, All right. So now that I got you to read a book, um, we've been in contact with S.G. Brown, and uh, it looks very likely that he'll be joining us on the show, which is uh, which is just a great thrill for me. Cool. Yeah, definitely looking forward to hearing. Uh, I mean, there's so many questions we could ask based on this book, and I'm sure you've got more based on his career, too. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, that little collection came out. I'm going to get through that on our uh, while we're on vacation. So. Ooh, vacation. <laughs> vacation all over. any rate so stay close to your uh, Facebook Twitter wherever it is you follow us at to, uh, to keep updated on when we'll have SG Brown on the show alright and so no episode of Booked is complete uh, at least recently without a, a visit from Skip Papersley and so here's the latest edition of Booked News this is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. This week in Book News, a ring reportedly owned by Jane Austen recently sold at auction for £152,000, or roughly $253,000. The British author's ring was plain and modest turquoise and was purchased by an anonymous bidder over the telephone. When reached for comment through a seance, Austen's ghost said, quote, I was famous for writing books about vapid, wealthy people who are only interested in vapid, rich things. It's good to see my target audience is still out there doing stupid things in the name of money. Uh, uh, um, love. Publishing giant Little Brown and Company, desperate to improve physical book sales, released their two years accounting books for sale. The Book of Figures is an exclusive release to Barnes & Noble and will be priced at $19.99. Special editions are also set to be released and will feature autographs by head accountant Stanley Hibberts and will include fan fiction of his run-in with Bella Swan. Now for the New York Times bestsellers and fiction recap. Mission failed for Mission to Paris by Alan First as it slips to number five. Summerland by Ellen Hildebrand is right at home at number four. James Rawlins' Bloodlines blows up at number three. Being at number two is wicked sweet for Janet Ivanovich in her book, Wicked Business. Finally, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn waves goodbye to the competition and is number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. You know, I don't even know what he was talking about there for a while, but it was goddamn funny. (laughs) I think... uh... Yeah, that whole little brown thing I was a little lost on, but at the end when he was talking about uh, fan fiction, I was like, okay, they're trying to boost sales by, by going Fifty Shades of Grey, I think is what he was trying to say. And you know how we feel about Fifty Shades of Grey, the more the merrier. That's right. That's 51 right. Shades of Grey. <laughs> it would be great if that's what the sequel was called, 51 Shades of Grey. Yeah, it's called like Fifty Shades Grey, or I, I don't know, I don't know. Fifty don't Shades know. of, oh no, I don't know. There's one that's called Fifty Shades Free or something. I don't know. Hang on. Fifty Shades uh, Freed, I think, is the third one. Fifty Shades Darker. Maybe? God damn it. It's like Die Hard 2. Uh, um, 
in actual news. <laughs> um, so this is kind of exciting, and it's kind of uh, book-to-movie news, something we talked about a lot recently uh, during our Interlude episode. But I am very excited to hear that Joe Hill's Horns is, uh, is going to be going into production. Yeah, uh, Livy's going to be taking the lead on this story because I don't know much about Joe Hill's uh, horns, but um, I can be I I'd be more than happy to talk about the actor who's going to play uh, a pivotal role in it. Yeah, I mean this. I, I yeah, the guy looked vaguely familiar. I have no idea who he is though. Oh, he's from. Uh, it's Daniel Radcliffe from the Harry Potter movies. That's probably why I read he was from <laughs> Harry Potter, but I figured since you had to like two or three times <laughs> educate me tonight, you're like that kid looks kind of familiar. Um, Joe Hill, for anybody who's living under a rock, um, is Stephen King's son, which usually would bode just horrible things for, for his fiction. But um, I read both of his full-length novels, um, Heart Shaped Box, which I will say the first half of I thought was very, very inspired horror. And then I thought it kind of trickled off. But I gave him another shot with Horns, which was kind of a totally different take. It's about a guy who becomes a, a devil, a demon. I mean, I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. Um, totally worth a read it was again we talked about suspending disbelief this is kind of a silly premise for a book but once you're in it man you're in it and this is just great stuff so i'm very excited to see that uh, that his book will be being made into a movie um starring that guy that rob was talking about harry potter yeah who um outside of harry potter i think um he's had very limited exposure on screen and i know which is funny because he was on uh, broadway doing some plays with a lot of exposure because he was actually fully nude, I think, at least in one of the the Broadway shows he was doing. Fully nude. Oh, wow. Exposure. See what I did there? Oh, I go. Everybody heard it. <laughs> I forgot that uh, that Stephen King's son was writing books. I, I, I remember seeing when the first one came out, and I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll give this a shot, and then I never did. It's a... Uh... I, like I said, I was I was really creeped out by Heart Shaped Box, which doesn't happen very often. Like I said, the first half of it, and then it just kind of petered out for me. It was still a good story. It just kind of lost the horror edge that I thought it had through the first half. I don't want to say it wasn't a good book. I really enjoyed it. But, man, Horns was just, and not in a scary way, Horns just was just a very well thought out story. I really, really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. So Are we going to do a movie review when that comes out? We might. We might do a movie review. I mean, our first one, our first one, Flossed was pretty good, right? I think we did okay with that. So yeah, that worked we out pretty do. well. Yeah. We'll have Joe Hill on and talk about it. That's right. Joe Hill, if you're out there. Now, the other thing I was going to say is if I was going to be submitting my review for Horns to iDreamBooks.com, I would give it one smiley cloud face. This is um, something that Pete Gudis, I hope we're saying his name right again. I think we've mentioned him before and didn't know if we were saying his name right. And you never got back to us, so it's uh, your own fault, Pete, if we're saying it wrong. <laughs> I'm so quick to just shove blame away from myself. It's, it's um, hilarious, though, because we've gone through this on the show I don't know how many times. You know, so shows about reading and, you know, which kind of becomes about writing at times, or at least it's the flip side of writing. So nobody talks to anybody else, like over the phone or in person. Yeah. Polinic. I don't know how many different pronunciations we heard of Polinic when we were doing the <laughs> Warmed and Bound sessions. Pelavia, um, officially it's Pelavia. I made her phonetically spell it for me, but she was like called Pila and, and, and Pella and, and all kinds of things. But yeah, that's one of the problems when you're in the, the writing reading community is all of the communications on paper and that doesn't lend itself for pronunciation. Yeah, Pete. I think we got that right. Maybe it's Pete. <laughs> it could be Pete. We could be wrong. Pete. Pete. 
Pentagoras. Yeah. Pete. I'm going to go with Pete. All right, let's go. So Pete uh, dropped a link on, on our, I think, the booked Facebook page, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is facebook.com slash booked podcast for anybody who hasn't been interacting with us on there. Uh, he said, I think uh, this this might be an interesting thing. So we went and checked it out. And uh, Livius is kind of explaining it to me before I had a chance to look at it. And uh, his basic description was that uh, you either kind of, it's like an upvote, downvote kind of thing. Um, so there's a book, and you can look at the book, and, and there's a synopsis of it and a little bit of information. And you can give it a positive or a negative. My reaction was it's kind of like Rotten Tomatoes because uh, based on the number of positive or negative reviews, it's got a percentage positive or negative score, I guess, right? Does that sound right? Yes. Um what it is though is it's not not just anybody gone there these are all called from you know here's i just pulled up one of them but it's from the washington times the la times the book reporter and the national so these are all collected from oh from actual reviewers yeah, from actual critics critics yeah um do you see books booked podcast on there anywhere i you know what i don't see it just yet but um oh, i'm sure that we can somehow get ourselves in there if we want to but here's why we don't want to okay this is a, this is what actually I think this is what brought brought it what why Pete why Pete brought it to our attention <laughs> is that he thought this was really cool and then he saw the latest James Patterson book the I Michael Bennett and it had a one hundred percent rate. Ooh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he he thought that maybe they lost some credibility with that, um, but as I'm scrolling through there, I, I see uh, I see a book that's probably going to be on our roster it only has a 50 percent. so mm. it's an interesting now here's the thing livius and i were kind of digging into that a little bit so rotten tomatoes um so it gets rated on a one to five scale and uh they basically aggregate all those ratings into a percentage score so um people will say you know if three you know three thousand people give it a three star rating it's going to be somewhere around like you know uh, what 50 some odd percent or something like that. Um, which seems like it's a good system. I guess the problem here is that it's just up or down. It's like, you know, there's no, there's no range. There's no scale. You're just doing yes or no, basically. So, um, for example, the 50 shades of gray book. Now this is interesting because, uh, 50 shades of gray, like Olivia just said, 30%, the seven negative, uh, and three positive ratings, and to me that seems pretty accurate. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, I. I mean, it all depends on on who you're looking at, the, you know, and, and who you know who's reviewing them and who the ten are. Um, some of them are, and I just because I have a different one pulled up that I wanted to mention, but it's like one of them is the random acts of reviewing blog. <laughs> so when you see, okay, Kirkus reviews. You know, you see the whatever the Wall Street Journal or NPR or something. You know that carries booked podcasts. Those carry a little bit of weight. I'm not sure about the random act of reviewing blog. Oh, chicks digs books. Um, gave it the thumbs up. Gave Fifty Shades of Grey the thumbs up. Here's my concern. So the first that I Michael Bennett had four or four stars had four positive reviews. I scrolling around found Private Games, which we mentioned during a Patterson watch not that long ago. Also, one hundred percent on the readometer. Yeah, and that's the problem. All right, so the big headers like James Patterson. I'm just worried. Yeah, I worry about the the legitimacy of that. I mean, this person is a person who 
every book that he puts out is number one on the bestseller lists. And um, I don't want to get all media conspiracy or anything, but like, you know, I, there has to be a reason that this person's a book. It's not that like, eh, I'm not going to get into it, but that th- there's a loss of integrity, I think, when everything this person does. He needs to have somebody steal his luck, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh, nice, nice, very nice. <laughs> I mean, looking at some of this stuff, <clears throat> I don't immediately see anything we've reviewed on here other than Fifty Shades of Grey. But um, The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest is at a 63%. Um, you know, wow. rage. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, earns you a frowny, cloudy face. Apparently you have to be above 70 or 75. I guess 75 is the only number I see. Above 70% gets you a smiley cloud face. Oh, wait, wait. The Wolf Gift? 48%. It's a little high, I think. <laughs> so, any rate, that's the problem, though, with a, with a plus or minus. And to go further into that, I mean, how many you know reviews have we done that maybe it was like a two-and-a-half-star book that could be considered a positive review? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Any rate, it was very interesting to see. I don't think that I'll be – I don't think we'll be uh, making selections on what we're going to read based on the idreambooks.com website, but you may want to go check it out yourself. Yeah, I could say uh, best case scenario, we come out with like uh, the books book to list or something like that, where users can rate them up or down, and then like it ends up being like someone has to take this idea, which seems interesting, and improve on it. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. Are, are we going to take that? Well, no, but I think that if we had someone who really liked our podcast that wanted to take that on and attribute our name to it, that would be cool. So what you're saying is we need to hit up Lawrence Kitts and see if he yeah. wants to. Yeah, Lawrence Kitts, who, uh, if anybody hadn't listened to, I think, the last episode, um, I, I guess, and the, and the story of this is really cool. He had uh, run into or met Gordon Highland at the Shit Author Say reading, and uh, Gordon kind of name-dropped the podcast. So Lawrence is very, very new to being a listener to the show. I guess at least that's my impression. But uh, he had already started up um, like a week and a half ago, maybe? About that. The booked listening group, uh, booked podcast listening group on Facebook, which we uh, have links to on the front page of our website. Um, he just wanted to start up a discussion place for people who are talking about our episode or that were talking about what we talked about on our episodes and um, obviously flattering and everything like that. But we like the idea because um, it gives a more community feel to what we're doing. So um, maybe we'll get him to to work on some other projects with us. Wait, that's kind of happened, hasn't it? Yeah, I think I think you're already suckered this poor guy into doing more work. Yeah, that's okay. Caveat to anybody else who's a listener who likes us. If at any time you do something that shows, A, that you have an interest in what we do, and B, that you're willing to do stuff, like really anything, we're just going to put you to work. Malaz, we mentioned him twice, and he kept talking to us, so we made him a foreign correspondent. So uh, just be warned if you're, if you, if you, you know, have any interest in us at all and communicate with us, you're eventually going to be working for the podcast. Wait, that's not, a, that's not an actual promise, so <laughs> don't. but there's a chance that we could put you to work. So anyway, Lawrence, thank you a lot. Um, so much for, for the time you put into this. Um, did we mention what the other thing is? He's no, I'm, on? I'm letting you do that. Okay. So we talked about bonus material and finding a place to host some of this bonus content. And we thought, oh, okay, you know, we'll just pop this on the booked um, listener group. The problem with that is, is that we can't just really pop audio files onto there in an effective way. So 
um, a separate website has been set up uh, where you can find edited content. And as I said earlier um, in the, the listening group, this is the stuff I pretty much beg Rob to take out. But since he has it and has access to the website, um, I guess it's just all going to end up on the bonus blog. Yeah, so we made bookedbonus.wordpress.com, and uh, it's just going to be a place. Lawrence um, started posting kind of companion information and material to what we were talking about in the episodes, and uh, Livius and I kind of realized there's some stuff that we've had to cut from episodes, either for time or just because it was off-topic, off but that was still very interesting. And um, we figured, why not share those things with people? We, we don't want to necessarily clutter up the website the booked podcast website any more than it already is but there's nothing stopping us from making a blog where we can drop like a four minute three minute four minute clip of something that didn't make it into the episode uh for people to listen to just because you know either it's funny or it's interesting and we didn't want it to just sit there not being heard if you want to hear me chuckling uncomfortably at wondering if this is going to make it into the episode or not (laughs) So booked bonus, uh, we kind of set it up. I actually talked to Lawrence a lot about how we should do it. He had a lot of input into it, and he's um, a full-on administrator over there. So he does posts, and I do posts, and Livius just uh, uh, lets the adoration and love roll in. That's right. I allow the posts to happen because I'm very technically challenged when it comes to things like websites. So, um, you know, you mentioned a minute ago. Malaz Corbier, and you know, it's been an awful long time since we heard from Malaz. Yeah, we mentioned Malaz a minute ago. Um, actually, uh, he, he uh, in, in a, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this, uh, I reached out to him re- recently because, uh, you know, Livius is sad, he misses him, and he's, you know, he's in a bad place, but uh, uh, Malaz explains it way better than I'm going to, but uh, Malaz decided to reach out and, and uh, and um, try and rally rally the troops around the podcast. So this is Malaz uh, with the um, first Malaz minute in quite a while. A second ago, I had Rob on the telephone. He told me Livius was on the verge of suicide. It turns out the group of listeners to the book podcast is dwindling and dwindling, most likely due to a lack of Malaz. Please, ladies and gentlemen, but mostly ladies, keep listening, even when I'm not on the show. We need your help. Save Olivia's today. Listen to Book Podcast. You know, oddly enough, I actually feel much better just having that on the show. It's the uh, the magical power of the Dutch. I miss Malaz. You know, you know what happened, right? I was listening to a couple old episodes the other night. <laughs> there was a Malaz minute on one of them. And I sat there and I, I, I just, I did. I was like, I, I just sent him an email. I said, we miss you. Come back soon. The winning return of Malaz Corbier to the book podcast right there, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, it's good to have him back. Hopefully we'll have him on more often. Um, yeah. I, I know like he's been dude. really, really busy. So I think he's uh, he's all caught up with writing um, octopus stories and whatever else he's doing and making wooden shoes. And there's a new windmill they put up in his neighborhood. <laughs> well, you and, know, it turns out uh, his life doesn't revolve around uh, our podcasts, which is just a slap in the face to us. But uh um, we still love him. Yeah, yeah, no, we absolutely do. Um, but yeah, so at any rate, his life doesn't revolve around us because it revolves around a windmill. <laughs> All right, so uh, I've got one thing that, one kind of final topic that 
came up actually when I was at work earlier today, and I was thinking about this, and I wanted to get your opinion on it, Livius. Um, I was talking to someone, and they were telling me about a book they'd recently read, and we're talking about the book for a min- you know about a minute or so, and it came out that he had read it as an audio book, and so I was like, uh, you know, so I was starting to think to myself like. If I listen to an audiobook, would I consider it read in the conventional sense, or do I consider it not read? What? How does that land for you? That's really weird. I, I don't know. You know, audiobooks haven't come up on this show, oddly enough. Um, in 95 episodes, I don't think we've really talked about it. Yeah, I mean, like, you've taken in the book, but you didn't read it. That's really strange. I mean, I definitely wouldn't... I... It's weird. I'd feel like I was almost cheating myself because I care about page count more than I do about books I consume um, because I think it's more of an honest way to, to, to gauge how much reading I've done in a year. So I, I obviously wouldn't count it towards my page count, but it's not something I would go back and reread if I've already listened to it because I've taken in the story. So it's like, it's kind of, I don't know. It, it seems kind of like this kind of... V- in between kind of limbo right yeah and you know now that you mention it and i did finally get around updating my goodreads account for 2011 recently um and you know i've listened to one maybe two audiobooks and i know one of them was just i think it was last year and uh just to and from work you know i had it on and it never occurred to me to put it on goodreads and mark it as anything so i guess i kind of stand on it's not reading a book Oh, does Goodreads have audiobooks as part as one of the book version no, options? I don't think they do, but it like mm-hmm. never occurred to me to go on there and mark, even though it's one of my favorite authors in a great series, I decided to listen to the audiobook version just to have something to do to and from work. It was after I canceled my satellite radio and I just couldn't stand listening to regular radio, but it never occurred to me to go give this, you know, four or five stars. Although it was an unabridged version. I'm going to Goodreads right now to see if um and because you can look at a book and you can see all the different editions of it, so I'm gonna try "Girl with the Dragon Tattoo" because it's a super popular book. Let's see what comes up. Goodlistens.com. More editions. Goodlistens.com. Hardcover, ebook, mass market, paperback, paperback, paperback. All right, so I'm scrolling through. Oh. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo audio CD. So that is an edition that shows up on on Goodreads. You could rate the audiobook. So here's another one. Random House Audio Publishing Group audiobook. Huh. Yeah, but you still didn't read the book. Right, but, but I mean, at least in that situation, you you actually are, are being honest about how you this got the true. story. This so, is true. In that situation, I'd feel comfortable rating an audiobook because there's different elements that go into that as well. Like you have to talk about, you know, was the was the 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 voiceover work appropriate for the story, you know, that type of stuff. I guess yeah, it would make sense to be able to rate an audiobook as opposed to rating the print edition of a book or an ebook. Hmm. I don't know. You know, that's that's getting pretty close to like I saw the movie. I don't know. I'm going to say you didn't read a book if you listened to it on, on Dave. I, you know, I lean in that direction too, but I think that this is kind of a, 
kind of a loophole. This whole audiobook thing on Goodreads is a loophole. You know where this would be a great discussion? I have no idea. Were you going there the whole time and I didn't see it? Was this was this a big setup for this? Because <laughs> I, I totally didn't see it coming. I wish I was that smart. But I think this is a great thing for the people to talk about over at the book podcast listening group. Um, maybe I'll start a discussion there about that. Very cool. I will kick in with, I don't know, but I don't think so. That's my answer. That's his answer for everything. Yeah, it is. It's pretty much it. So. <laughs> All right, uh, I think uh, we've exhausted our, our list of topics, haven't we? We've exhausted our listeners. I, mean, I know I've exhausted you. How many yawns did you have to edit out of this? Zero, through the magic of editing. <laughs> That's right. So, um. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, why don't you tell people what's coming up in the next episode? All right, so the next episode, Rob and I will um, not be around at the time that we would be recording the next episode because we will be in beautiful, sunny Los Angeles. Um, but uh, the we had some options. We could have gone a week without an episode, which I believe Rob and I had a conversation about probably a year ago where we promised ourselves we wouldn't do that unless there was some kind of dire circumstance. So we were going to have a full episode where we made fun of Caleb J. Ross because we could do that for 45 minutes. But ultimately, we decided to do something um, a little different. There are a number of guests that we've wanted to have um on this show for some of them for quite some time, some more recently, but we didn't really have like a like a book that we reviewed from them or anything specific like we normally do with a guest. So we thought, what if we have three shorter interviews with three guests and bring them all together in one episode? So that is uh, it's almost done. So we almost have it ready, and that's what you're going to be hearing for our uh, our next episode for our vacation episode. That's right. Even when we're on vacation, and you know, it's you know, it's funny is that episode will be longer. We'll have like worked harder on that episode than we would on one when we weren't on vacation. It's true. When he says we, I mean you. He means we. Yeah, I mean you. <laughs> you did. So until that next big episode, um, go ahead and get caught up on anything you haven't listened to, but definitely come back for that one. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We're not gonna tell you who's on it, but it's some pretty cool guests. So uh, until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. Now I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. I'm Skip Hapensley here to tell you that you can listen to Booked on iTunes, Stitcher, Instacast, Podcast.com, the Zoom Marketplace, and of course at BookedPodcast.com. Booked episodes are also broadcast live once a week from Clive Custer's submarine following his mud bath and laser hair removal treatments. Thank you.